welcome to Music Fishbowl. Okay, welcome to this episode of Music Fishbowl. It's going to be a really uh, special one this week. Um, Jam-packed with loads of great stuff, so we're going to cut out all the rubbish at the beginning that I usually do. And um, yeah, this episode is going to be loads of fun stuff about one specific thing. If you don't like that thing, I'm sorry. Not my fault, because I love that thing, and I know you do as well, Teo. Welcome, Teo, again. Hello there. Hello. <laughs> we just finished watching the Obi-Wan series, and we did a take of this uh, episode already that, that 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 I kind of messed up. And uh, Mateo said he wished he started with hello there. So, there so I did this it. time. Yeah, he did this time, yeah. Anyway, um, this episode... Fifth time lucky. <laughs> <laughs> this this episode is um is a special one literally because we're going to talk Paul McCartney the whole episode. Um, we're not going to do music news, so they're going to get a, next time we do an episode they'll get a big bump of music news. Um, but um, this is uh, just going to be a retrospective of the man's life because he turned eighty two weeks ago, uh, I believe. What time this comes out? Um, so we're going to have what I call a Mc, uh, what was it a Paul Mc party. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sad, all right? Give, give me a break. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> I just wrote that on this dude. That's so bad, isn't it? <sighs> anyway, so... <laughs> so, Paul McCartney, Tayo. Um, huge artist for both of us. We both love him to pieces. What does he mean to you? Um, What does he mean to me? Yeah. I think that, you know, people talk about long-standing cultural icons mm. in British society, like the Queen. And, you know, the Queen is sort of, like, used as, like, a bulwark for everything mm. that's happened in British society over the last, like, 70 years or whatever. Um, being a starch Republican and anti-monarchist that I am, <laughs> I couldn't give a toss about the Queen. But one of the things that's so amazing about Paul McCartney is that he has maintained his cultural relevancy throughout mm. his entire career. You know, some artists seem to have, like, dipped off the like cultural significant spectrum, if you like, for a yeah. bit. Um, other artists who are still culturally significant, like the Rolling Stones, you've noticed a possible dip in their significance or significant dip in their significance. Even though they've carried on mm. being famous, they've not quite got the same like household name longevity, mm. uh, or at least they're not putting out records that really blow people's minds. Well, I feel like yeah. Paul McCartney, obviously while he was in the Beatles and when he was in Wings and then throughout his solo career has been consistently innovative. Mm. Um, it's really exciting to see someone be consistently creative and consistently sort of in the media musical spotlight mm. for decades. He, you know, is just quite arguably the most significant icon, the most significant music icon Britain has yeah. ever produced. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, I, I, I've been on record to say when you talk about some of the most famous people on the planet, as in people who are we talking about, you know, people who have heard of them or would know what they look like, for example. Obviously, the Queen's usually number one, isn't she? Like worldwide, majority of people know her. Um, but then, you know, on your hand, where how long does it take till you get to McCartney? It's not that long, is it? So, yeah, he's just, I mean, I love him to pieces. I've always been a fan of the Beatles since I was about, you know, three or four years old. I've enjoyed their music and then, you know, found out about solo careers I got older into my teenage years and everything so I, I, I've loved the guy so what I plan to do today I've literally written out a timeline of Paul's life and I think we can go through and sort of examine him the person and, and, and what, what informed him to be the way he is and things like that um so the start of his life right June 18th 1942 
Um, James Paul McCartney is born to Jim and Mary. So his, his first name's James. He's not Paul McCartney. That's his middle name. Um, he has a younger brother called Peter McCartney, who's known as Mike McGear professionally. Do you know where he's known from? No. I have told you in the past you've forgotten. I just don't uh, listen. No, I know. <laughs> In one ear, the other. <laughs> no, so Mike McGear was um, in a band called, a comedy band called The Scaffold. That's it. Yeah, and they had a song called Living the Pink, which went to number one. And then he's, he's had some solo work. He actually had an album that was produced and written pretty much all the way, nearly, by Paul and Linda. Um, so it's, it's some extra Paul McCartney songwriting, if you ever want to go and listen, listen to that. It came out like 1974, around then. Um, but yeah, no. Um, Paul, uh, so Paul is in a musical um, household with a piano, um, which his father played. He is bought a trumpet for his 14th birthday, which he traded for a guitar. So that's sort of the birth. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's the birth of, um, of 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 an artist, isn't it? There. So obviously he's born in Liverpool as well. Um, culturally significant because of the docks, because the docks were where you could get records from america and that's where rock and roll and soul was was so that's where you managed to get your records from because sailors would bring them over and sell them on the side to make a bit of extra cash basically um so 1954 probably the most not the most significant meeting he's going to have but the second most at least the most significant meeting of of his life so far he meets a boy who's a year younger than him do you know who that is um, Ringo Starr. No. <laughs> John Lennon. No. 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 Oh. John was the oldest. The oldest. Oh. I'm going to say George well, Harrison, but that's going to be wrong as well, isn't no, it? No, it is George Harrison. Yeah. It's George Harrison. So he meets George Harrison. George was the youngest Beatle. a year younger than Paul, year below him at school. They went to the same school together, which was, I believe, um, uh, it, it was a school for, was it a school of arts or something like that. It was something like that. I mean, it wasn't, I think it's just a secondary school that specialised in that. No, it's now a school of arts, but it was something else technically college or something they called it i don't know anyway i can't remember but um I, then the most significant event probably of paul's life at, up to this point happened in 56 and that was his mother um dying of breast cancer um now here's what's interesting so paul's songwriting obviously was very much influenced by his mother let it be is mother mary's coming at you know lady madonna's about her so basically I mean, do you know what Paul's first song song was that he wrote? So I went to the, I think we discussed this on the podcast. I went mm. to the Paul McCartney lyrics exhibition at mm. the British Library a few months back. And I think I do somewhere in the recesses of my brain. Uh, but I can't <laughs> remember. Yeah. I'll be I believe the sheet, I, I, I believe there was a sheet of handwritten lyrics of it there. Yeah, sure. I believe so as well. Um, so the song's called I Lost My Little Girl. It's not, it's, it's, it's a disguised song. It's not about losing someone's partner it's about his mother it's the first one he wrote it prompted him to write it supposedly um which again shows the smartness of his writing at such a young age he's born 42 so 56 he's now what, 14 14, 13, yeah, 14. Yeah, 13, 14 and he's already written a song that means something completely different to what he's saying and uh if you ever want to hear that song he actually sings it at the mtv unplugged mm. you want to hear it um so Here's probably the most significant meeting of his life. 1957, uh, Paul McCartney goes to a church fete. Uh, the church fete is at St. Peter's Church. It's a garden party. Well, that's what they called it on the website I got this from. I think it was American. Uh, but we called it a fete in the UK. And he uh, auditions for a band. Do you know what the band's called? It's not the Beatles. No, really. I know it's not the Beatles. Uh, <laughs> because of a Q. See, Q. 
Okay, no, maybe I don't know. <laughs> they were called the Sea Quarryman. Quarryman. Yeah, Quarryman. Yeah, they were called Sea Silver Beetles at one point as well, but that's in between. Uh, and he meets John Lennon, so he's auditioning in front of John Lennon. Um, he impresses him with a rendition of Eddie Cochran's. Uh, 20 Flight Rock, simply because he knew the words is part of it as well. Knowing the words was considered a huge thing back then because it was hard to get hold of lyric sheets and things. Um, so anyway, Paul then invites Joy, uh, George to join. Stuart Sutcliffe and Pete Bess were also in the band, uh, who were then renamed to the Beatles. Um, so the band had a residency at the Starlight Club in Hamburg. Um, we can talk about that for ages, me and you, probably that period of time. And at the Cavern in Liverpool. Um, Stuart decides to leave the band. So he met a uh, lady in Hamburg, I can't remember her name, but she was a photographer and artist, I believe. And he met the love of her life and had love of his life and stayed there. Paul then inherits his Hoffner bass guitar. So that Hoffner bass guitar, the vinyl yeah. one? That's the Stuart's. iconic one. Yeah. Oh, I don't know that. Yeah, so the Starlight, obviously, obviously, what kick-started the fame of the Beatles really was a, an incident there where George Harrison got deported because they found out he was underage. So that sort of kick-started the move up to mm. become a, a, a or the huge band they were um so but yeah they were sitting fires like hotel rooms and all the rock and roll stuff before that existed like <laughs> that doesn't sound very beatly as well does it, it doesn't really yeah. like you don't associate the clean cut yeah pop british image of the beatles with yeah exactly rock and roll stars yeah they they apparently the, the hamburg days were i mean you stick a bunch of you're essentially sticking a bunch of 17 18 17, year olds, 18 year olds at a time when 17, 18 year olds didn't go abroad mm. in Hamburg's red light district. Mm. What you don't expect, mm. you know? Uh, so 1962, you'll have some sore memories of this. Decker rejects the Beatles. <laughs> Do you want to tell me why you have sore memories of Decker rejecting the Beatles? So, was the record actually produced by Decker? No, or no. The, the, so that, that record there is a bootleg of the, bootleg. the set of the audition that they did for Decker. So Dan has lots of vinyls <laughs> in his room. Uh, and at one point I was re reading the back of this bootleg <laughs> vinyl of like Beatles recordings for the auditions that they did at Decca. And oh, I wish that, you know, I knew that you were going to bring this up because I would have read it again so I could tell more information <laughs> or like, you know, have read it out. But essentially it had some really wild facts in it, none of which I can remember off the top of my head because, you know, I read this like months ago. But some things that just sounded so implausible, but... <laughs> stated with such confidence that it's like oh my god i can't me and, and dan's like has an encyclopedic knowledge of the beatles so i was like oh my god did you know this and dan was like no i didn't i don't know how i didn't know this and we like bought everything up lapped everything up especially me and then like you get to the end of the record and it's like by the way this is a work of fiction or something like that <laughs> so the whole back that they described and was on the record is a work of fiction it's a huge back with tiny like tiny text you know it took me about half an hour to read it and it was just all completely made up just for a laugh, which I like in one way, but also it's like, you know, I just wasted you think that you're learning time. things and then it's just ridiculous. So yeah, what happens in the end anyway? So Decker, that audition tape does exist and that is a genuine audition tape from that, but they re they rejected saying guitar bands are on the out. Um, also the guy who said that has written a book about how he rejected the Beatles. He, every, the Beatles hairdresser's written a book, right? Everyone knows the Beatles has written a book, right? So. But um, EMI signed them. Uh, the Beatles replaced Pete Best with Ringo Starr. Uh, they have a number 17 hit. Why um, did they replace Pete, uh, Pete Best with Ringo Starr? Pete Best wasn't a good enough drummer. Mm. He was also far better looking 
So it didn't fit the aesthetic of the band to have was one that would always be yeah, the girl's favourite. And yeah. he was quiet. He was quiet. Really quiet as well. Like they called George the quiet one. Mm. And Pete was quieter. So like that's that's kind of why they, they did that. Mainly because of the playing though. Like Ringo Starr is the at the same time the greatest yet underrated drummer as mm. well in ever to live. Like the only one who's lauded that is also as good if not better than him is John Bonham from Led Zeppelin. There's mm. no one other they are the top two by a long shot so you know he i mean he's incredible um so they have a uk uh top 17 hit with uh love me do and paul and, paul and john start solidifying their songwriting partnership that will last a long time and the friendship as well so please please me and with the beatles both released in 1963 just so you know so two albums in one year um and obviously these are albums that are filled with originals, which is unusual for the time. Uh, so revolutionising music there by sending, essentially saying artists, you need to write your own music. And they are filled with covers as well. And they, they did covers to the point where people couldn't tell whether they were American or British. They were that good at covering American songs, basically. Um, so Paul then meets Jane Asher, who is the uh, act, act, she's an actor as well. And she's the sister of Pete Asher, who was in Peter and Gordon, the duo. Uh, which Paul McCartney actually wrote the song for uh, World Without Love. Uh, for them. It's Lennon McCartney, but I think Paul wrote it as far as I'm aware. Um, and he moves into her house. Um, they get engaged in 1967, but the engagement was called off when Paul was caught cheating. Not with Linda, but he had met Linda by that point. So, murky there. Um, anyway, From Me To You hits number one in the UK. So the first number one in the UK in 63. Um, a year moves on, and uh, the Beatles performed to 73 million American viewers in the Ed Sullivan, on the Ed Sullivan show. I think that's the largest the show had ever pulled. Um, they also released A Hard Day's Night, the album, as well as the film. So we're now moving into changing music films because suddenly music films were quintessentially now British. They were tongue-in-cheek, fun laugh. They weren't Elvis being you know, sexy, basically. <laughs> they weren't just that. Um, Beatles themselves also released that year. Largely seen as the worst Beatles album. Don't know. Would you agree? <laughs> I think it's possibly the most disorganised or the messiest. Yeah, it's got the least in it that you kind of want to go back to. Yeah. I'm actually like, no reply, and I'll follow the sun, and then the other tracks that come, just forget. Actually, Paul covering Kansas City, the cover is noteworthy to me, not the originals, which is a bit scary for the Beatles. Um, anyway, for most people, things are going to start kicking off now in the Beatles. 65. Yesterday hits number one. Um, this is when you think of it, and when you actually put it in the timeline, it's amazing how quickly things happen for them. Oh yeah, yeah. Coming like a you know, <laughs> turning from like a small club band to a international phenomenon in a matter of like half a decade. Well, we've got uh, so yeah, I mean, fifty-seven through to sixty-four is when they are when Beatlemania hits. Mm. So you're looking at less than you're looking at what seven years now, mm. yeah. So, yeah, it's a very short amount of time. Um, so, yeah, Yesterday hits number one. Significant because, A, the most covered song of all time. B, incredibly different to anything the Beatles have done so far, really. Um, also, Paul's first solo, right? Mm. Without John, as in, in the Beatles. Um, it's also the first song to feature only one Beatle. So we're looking at, we're already seeing the start of the end. The start of Paul's solo career. Really. Yeah, basically. And we're seeing the... We're seeing the beginning of, of the most creative period of a band, but that most creative period is what's kind of destroying the band at the same time. Um, this year, they also released Help and Rubber Soul. 
So rubber cells often considered to be the first of the uh, non, ones. yeah, the first of the non-pop yeah. albums by the Beatles. Let's say, I, for it's for me, their career pop. starts at Rubber Soul. Yeah, I mean, you look at the cover, you know they were, you know, taking substances that you know are, are illegal. Um, you know that they are sort of experimenting with their sound. You know they're doing things differently just from the cover. That's the first time you see it because of how it's all that jaunty angle and things aren't quite. It's psychedelic, isn't it? And yeah, it's it's inspired by Bob Dylan as well. So you know, it's, it's a folk rock record. It's, and it's again, it's the genre bending. It's beginning as well. It's not just Elvis who's genre bending now. Now we've got the Beatles doing it, and they're doing it whilst writing their own songs. So that's the difference. Um, Revolver released in '66. Uh, Paul also releases um, his first solo composition ever, as in without the Beatles label, uh, for the soundtrack to um, the film The Family Way. Now. Paul can compose a very small amount of this classical soundtrack, this uh, this film score. He George Martin did the rest. He just did a tiny bit. His name was put onto the record, just so you're aware. Um, '67, the summer of love hits. Uh, Sergeant Pepper's uh, Lonely Hearts Club Band is released. So this seminal album is released. But for Paul, one of the biggest part of the year is actually he meets Linda Eastman at a Georgie a Georgie Fame show at London's Bagginals Club. He hadn't yet left Asher. As I said earlier, so but Paul's met the love of his life basically now, um, and then you know, Magical Mystery Tour the EP is released plus the album to America. Uh, the White Album then releases in '68, another seminal record, and you're seeing how quick all this is happening. Yeah, you don't uh, get artists releasing classic album after classic album after classic album year on year, sometimes two a year. Yeah. You just don't get that nowadays. Exactly. It doesn't happen. Um, you've got to bear in mind at this point, they've also done another hit film. But had not they already stopped touring at this point? Which and is one of the reasons touring. why they can spend so much time in the studio. So 66 is when they stopped touring. Mm-hmm. So they're changing music by taking time out of touring and actually spending time in the studio. Other bands are having to find the time mm. to catch up. And that's why the Stones have a, if you look at the Stones, there's a six month gap between when they, when the Beatles did it and then when the Stones did it. It's a six month gap because they have to find the time around the touring. Um, and also because they have to hear it as well. Mm. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, Yellow, Yellow Submarine comes out in, in, in around this time as well, including the soundtrack comes out in 1969. So it's a cartoon film. So they made a film for children as well. The one thing about the Beatles is that they were always sort of for children as well. They were very pro giving children music. Um, yet a submarine great example as a song but also as a film you know which is quite nice you don't get that now uh 69 more significantly for paul he marries linda and they have a daughter mary five months later uh, that's five months later after the wedding sorry um stella is born in 71 and james is born in 77 there is a james mccartney jr that means if you, it, he doesn't go under that name it's just james mccartney because paul is paul mccartney but he is technically a junior <laughs> I don't know if it's official on the birth certificate, but it's what you should what you should do. I think it'd be quite cute. <laughs> I've always wanted to have a junior, but I'll never I'll never name my child a junior. I'd always like to. <laughs> like to Just Daniel the second. Yeah, Daniel the second. Yes. Um, uh, so Abbey Road releases as well in 1969. So again, seminal. Let it be then releases in 1970. It's like <laughs> what a run. It's impossible, impossible, isn't it? Uh, so McCartney ends the Beatles, basically. Um, even though Lennon had already left. So this is the point where he starts getting to the rumours of what happened, and we're not too sure. Obviously, watching the Get Back documentary, Paul always wanted the band to stay together, it seems. Paul has echoed that his whole life. 
Um, so I think I think the story goes that is most commonly believed is that Paul was forced to announce because nobody else would. Because Paul wanted to keep the band together and having disagreements over the Alan Klein deal where they were looking to get a fi- new Alan Klein in as financial manager and things like that. That, that, that deal, I think Paul either agreed or disagreed and the others agreed, you know. And I think that's what caused the friction. Um, so I think due to that, I think the others just deliberately didn't say anything to force Paul to, um, potentially. Uh, obviously, it's all allegedly. Um, but that's sort. Of, I think that's sort of the known belief story. Um, he releases his first solo album though that year, McCartney, where he plays everything on it himself. Um, again, he's he's the only Beatle who did that as well, and he's also. You know that's how people now release albums and people only started really doing that properly as in in the mainstream in the past 10 15 years he's mm. done it in 1970 so mm. um the beatles are dissolved in 75 just so you know so it actually takes a long time to get it sorted and get the finance side of it basically um it's like a long divorce essentially yeah this is an album you like uh 1971 paul releases uh ram with linda mm. it's a fantastic record um Start of indie rock, essentially the origin of the nineteen seventy five. Yeah, basically all that other good stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's remark. I remember saying to you, sorry, I when we listened to it on your record player, mm. it's remarkable how fresh and modern it sounds, and it really does. And people can yeah. say that about the Beatles, and I do think that, like, you listen to Robert Soul, and if it weren't for the history of music we've had since then, in terms of production, it could almost sound like a modern record. But Ram sounds almost like it could be a modern record in terms of production, but also in terms of the way songs are structured and the yeah. sort of like sounds that are on it, I was shocked. It sounded like listening to something that was released in yeah. like 2016 rather than 1971. And it's an album people forget a lot as well. It's not sort of in the McCartney canon so much. I don't, and it's not because it's labelled as Paul and Linda. It just doesn't seem to be remembered so much. Because he's really eclipsed it with better records. He's yeah. eclipsed it with better records. Yeah, exactly. So like, I think there is a good point to stop. And we'll have a break. We're doing some song recommendations soon, but I just want to touch on a few few things because I think at the moment Paul's not in the best place. So he's released McCartney. It's not reviewed well. Ram is also not reviewed well. It's reviewed better, but not well. He's had a, a minor hit with um, with Another Day and Uncle Albert and uh, you know Admiral something and Uncle Albert whatever's gone on. Something anyway, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, people know what's on all about. So he, he's he's with Linda. He loves Linda. He's got his family, and we saw in the Get Back documentary we see he is becoming a family man at the time. Whilst the others are, you know, John is becoming a, pol- a political, social, political figure. George is becoming a songwriter in his own right and wants to go out. Ringo's just sort of plodding along, becoming Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, it's one of the best things he did in his career. But he's sort of just plodding along for the ride and just sort of not knowing where he's going to go. <laughs> he wants to get into acting more, I think, is what he's doing at the time. Because he was acting in a film uh, at night away from the... Or in the day, sorry, in the day. And they were recording at night trying to do the TV special show. So he's he's doing that. Paul is a bit lost because he has... As all alleged, but I feel that Paul is a bit lost because he hasn't got a band. So he kind of has a saving grace in 1971. Uh, after Ram releases, there's a saving grace, and we'll go into that in a bit. So, yeah, this part of his career, why is it so important to you? 
Like, because to me, this is this is this is the favourite bit of his career for me mm. because the Beatles are amazing. So why to you? Do you feel the same or? It's interesting because sometimes you, you know, occasionally you listen to Beatles songs and you're not sure who wrote them. Uh, but then especially from like, you know, 1966, 67 onwards, you can listen to a record and you're not sure who wrote it, but you can almost tell that's a Paul song. That's a mm. John song. Um, and yeah, it's like you talk about Yesterday being the first song like that, that the Beatles wrote. Mm. And Echoes of Yesterday, you can hear in, you know, all the way up to McCartney 3, but also mm. in Band on the Run, which is one of my favourite records of all time. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's just like about solidifying yourself as a unit, uh, mm. sorry, as an individual songwriter away from the unit that you've sort of inhabited in. Um, God, was it about the Beatles or was it about Michael McCormick's? Because I need to bring up Michael McCormick's in every single podcast <laughs> I feature on you. But um, Michael McCormick's another band with four individuals and they split up after four records uh, or five records if you count mm. their like vaulted record that they dis- that they released while they were breaking up. Uh, and they're back together now making like new singles and stuff. Um, but someone said about them that, or maybe it is about the Beatles, I'm not sure. My chem are basically the emo Beatles, so, you know, <laughs> um, that it's amazing that they lasted so long as a career because you put four immensely creative people yeah. in a room together, in a band together. Mm-hmm. And sure, they can, like, all work together, work collaboratively as musicians, but even from, like, the mid-60s, you're already seeing tensions as John is starting to explore his sound, and you've got some Beatles songs that contain the seeds of the quintessential John Lennon sound and Paul mm. trying to explore his sound and you've got some Beatles songs that have the seed yeah. of the quintessential Paul um, Paul McCartney sound uh, and it's amazing and now we've got such a clear idea in our heads of this is what John Lennon's career sounded like, this is what Paul McCartney's career sounded like but you know for the first half decade of the band there was no John, there was no Paul, there was just the Beatles mm. so it's interesting yeah. looking back retrospectively and seeing the germinations of what would become Paul's distinctive writing style. Yeah it is and like I found it interesting there where you said putting four in- intensely talented people in the group will, will eventually sort of push them apart in a way mm. and I think the difference there is people would go well what about Queen, a band like that because look at these four intensely talented individuals who all wrote all sang, apart from I don't think John Deacon sang, he might have, to, don't quote me, but they all sang, but the difference is, is that each one of them is strong in that individual field, mm. whilst with the Beatles, they're, they're strong all, all strong, over, all yeah. over, and that's the difference, um, I mean, yes, you can pick out McCartney's writing and, and Harrison's eventually, as being the more dynamic, and having the most range in their writing, whilst John was very much, it wasn't a one-trick pony by any measure, but you could definitely shoehorn him in, to, to, and and I think he only really, in my opinion, he only really started to expand that when he started getting to, just up to his death. Basically, I think Double Vision has some of the most, you know, expansive Lennon songs where you can just look at them and go, God, he could write. And I think that's when you really start seeing that. Um, he was very on the nose, Lennon as well. Whilst McCartney really wasn't, and that shows back when he was thirteen with "I Lost My Little Girl." He was not on the nose in any way. So, and or George Harrison even more so. George Harrison's songs are cryptic, like anything. He's the most cryptic Beatle for his writing by a long shot. So, I mean, yeah. But with McCartney, McCartney to me just has, he's the best in terms of all roundness. He's probably got it all. He, he's the most likely to be the star. 
out of the lot. If, if you were to make them all solo singers from the start, I think McCartney's going to be the one who's going to be the revered one. He's the Harry Styles of the group. Yes. Yes, if you want to put it, yes, that, that definitely works. Maybe John Lennon was the same, you know, he had the sex appeal, he had that, yeah. like, you know, the bad boy image. Yeah. Um, but Paul McCartney, very much the Harry Styles of yeah, that lot. for sure. Let's do the song recommendations, because we've got a special one, a little bit different today, okay? And I, I think you'll enjoy it. I'm going to grab some water. Song recommendation. Hi everyone, it's Dan here. I'm just popping in quickly to do a little disclaimer. You may notice the sound quality goes down a little bit. That's only because I'm quickly doing this on my phone. There's no need to get out all my equipment and everything. But um, I did plan to have in this song recommendation section all like the two songs uh, being played to you guys. So you could play along with Teo at home with this little game we're going to do. Um, unfortunately, um, that hasn't come to be. Uh, the reason being is not due to copyright rules or anything. Um, because the uh, host I'm with would pay all the copyright, uh, you know, they pay the artist basically for the use of the songs. They pay them fairly and everything. They do it all for me. Um, they have a feature that does that. The only problem is if I use that feature, it can only have the podcast be put on Spotify. And since 70% of my listeners are from Spotify, that wouldn't be fair on the other 23%. So I didn't want to do that. I want the podcast to be as inclusive as possible for everyone and everyone can enjoy it no matter what. So what I've done is I've recorded a couple of new little musical interludes, uh, like like my usual ones to just go in there uh, just when the songs are on. The songs are both already in the uh, song recommendations playlist, which you can find through a link at in the description of this episode and in the podcast description, plus my link tree on my Instagram account. So do go and check them out if you want to play along. If not, just listen and see uh, what results Taylor can come up with. It was quite fun. Cheers. Thank you, guys. See you in a bit. Okay, so song recommendations today is a bit different because I've got two songs and Mateo has none. Uh, Mateo has not heard the songs yet. He's going to hear them now. So basically what I'm asking him to do is to spot Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney is is audibly visible on all these records, well, on, on these two songs, um, and, and I want to see where you can find him. So here's your first song. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, so song one was Steve Miliband's My Dark Hour from their uh, 1969 album, uh, brand new world. Now that American rock band formed in 1966. Just a couple of things here. Well, one thing here: the riff was reused in their later hit "Fly Like an Eagle," which is what most people probably mm. know from this song. Now, where's McCartney? I think he's playing guitar. There's this one distinctive guitar part. Like he's not playing playing guitar the whole time. He's not the lead lead the guitar, but he does play a couple of riffs or licks. There's a bit uh, with a whammy bar that goes like. Doo! That's like really indicative of like later McCartney solo work. Uh, really reminded me of some of the sounds that I had on McCartney three. So I think he's on guitar, but also I think he might be on the backing vocals for the call and response. Uh, part of me also said maybe he's on the drums, but I don't think he actually is. I think I was just hearing him everywhere. Almost, you've got two out of three. Ah. Two out of three. So McCartney plays the drums, bass, and the vocals. Oh, it vocals. is. The, he does play the uh, drums. Yeah, he does play oh, the wow. drums. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, and also that's 69. Now, bear in mind, when Band on the Run came out, he played drums on that. That's 73, 74, around that. Or maybe 72, around that time. 
Paul's drums on that sound a lot more basic. Yeah, they do. But he's serving the song. I think that's, that's why. smart. My instinct was like, that's Paul on drums. But then I was like, no, that's way too elaborate. But oh my God, that was incredible drum work. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I don't often notice drums like that. It's so prevalent. So he wasn't yeah. on guitar at all. No, he wasn't. So but he was on bass, but he wasn't using his signature pick style. Mm. He was playing fingers as far as I'm aware from what I can hear. Um, so it, it was um, that song was born out of a jam session that started off in an argument the Beatles had over signing a contract appointing Alan Klein as the, as we said earlier, as the financial manager. These arguments are the ones that eventually basically pretty much broke up the Beatles as far as I'm aware. Um, only McCartney stayed in the studio after the argument and the Steve Miller Band were also recording at Abbey uh, no, it was, it was at Olympic Studios, I believe, off the top of my head. Uh, but yeah, only McCartney stayed in the studio afterwards, and he just jammed with Steve Miller Band, who were also there. So yeah, no, it's Great well time. done. You got two out of three. Great start. Cool. Second one's a bit harder. Okay, okay. you ready? Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, so that was song two. That's so that's Mellow Yellow by Donovan. Uh, it's a big hit for Donovan, by the way. Um, so it's from the 1967 album of the same name. He's a Scottish folk singer, often called the British version of Bob Dylan. And nobody really knows what that song is about. Uh, some say it's about drugs. Uh, I think some mentioned it to be like a legal, uh, at the time, what some people would have said would have been a legal high through with banana skins or something where you could something with them bananas I know I, I've I, never heard I, of I believe it was proved to not work I think I think it's genuinely okay. proved to not work and it was sort of like a rumour that's what I'm doing when I get home <laughs> but, yeah, cooking well, some banana well, skins doesn't matter it don't work so, so um, nutritious well, though you can use banana skins to make a vegan bacon can you S, uh, Paul McCartney's a vegan that's yeah. a Paul McCartney fact right there <laughs> he must use he must save all his banana skins yeah, exactly <laughs> um, but yeah no so um, Donovan actually says it's about an adult toy if you get what I mean a yellow adult toy, mm. put it that way. Um, but yes, no. Um, so where's McCartney? So at first I thought that the bass line sounds very Beatlesy, but then I also thought that's too obvious. Um, there's some additional instrumentation that I'm not sure it's keys. It's, it sounds a bit like keys, but I don't think it's actually keys. Is it a mandolin? Mandolins. No, it's not mandolin. Having country yeah, music. Yeah. yeah, no, the, the string instrument. You're thinking more like a harpsichord type yes. or something, yeah. Was that him? Like, no. Oh. But it's a lovely piece of music. Duh, 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 so duh, was duh, there duh, anywhere else duh. you thought he could be? Um, I mean, there was a trumpet breakdown in the middle, and I thought maybe he swapped his guitar back for, <laughs> for the trumpet, trumpet that he swapped <laughs> way back when he was a kid. Um, was he on the trumpet? No. No? It, it reminded me a bit of a Yellow Submarine. There's also this really weird, like, very British, almost David Bowie sounding spoken word, like a couple of lines that quite rightly or whatever he's yes. saying. Yes, so that's which quite interesting. It's not in a Scottish accent at all. It's quite interesting that you mentioned that because it was widely believed uh, before I believe the myth was, you know, said otherwise. I don't know who said it otherwise, but it was widely believed that that was McCartney and he sang back in vocals to They Call Me Mellow Yellow. And then he goes quite directly. But no, that actually isn't. So that so McCartney is actually one of the shouters and the cheerers at the end. Mm. Well, he is the shouters and cheerers, by the way. I mean, no, but there's more than one, but there's not many of them. But he is one of the shouters and cheerers. It's just a cameo, really. Basically, yeah. But he was a huge fan of Donovan, as far as I'm aware. Um, so yeah, no. You did reasonably well. Reasonably well. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. you. To, I mean, on the song, that was the hardest one to figure out where he was because he couldn't hear his voice. Mm. 
you actually got the bits where you can he's got a distinctive musical style. Yeah. You Having said that, I thought that he was on guitar and he wasn't, yeah. and I thought that he was on trumpet or harpsichord on the second one and he wasn't. Interesting though, that same album, there is actually a guitar riff which is identical to the piano riff of Lady Madonna, which I believe is was uh, I some believe that Paul let them use it as a thank you. To uh, for him being on sessions, but no, Song Rex guys. That was a fun. Uh, that was a fun game. Yeah, thank you. Those will both be in the playlist, by the way, so you can go and check them out uh, if you haven't heard them. Certainly will do. Okay, so next part of McCartney's career. Let's let's do the other half. So the other half is the solo. We started the solo. But we ended on a point where he had, he was kind of in a, what we assume would have been a bit of a lull in his life, musically and emotionally, potentially, because the weight that he just lays on him. And, and you know, we, you've watched numerous interviews with him like I have, and it always seems like the weight of the Beatles has hung on him for, as in, he's always been sad about the way it ended. Mm. Oh, this feels like he's never truly got over it. Mm. But anyway. I mean, if they, you know, started really getting together when he was, what, 15, 16? Yeah, it's he, like family, something that you've been with yeah. your whole life. Never really know any different. So no, exactly. So McCartney uh, has a new lease of life though in '71, where he forms another band. That mm. band is called Wings. Wings, exactly. Um, do you know the three key members of Wings? Now, not the original members, but the three key members that were there: Paul McCartney, yeah, Linda McCartney, yeah, and their dog. <laughs> no, so the last one was Denny Lane. Yeah. So. They had a lot more original. Penny members. Lane. <laughs> no, <laughs> Penny Lane. Maybe he liked the symmetry there. Maybe, maybe he, he did. It. Maybe he did. <laughs> um, he was like... just trying to get John's attention. <laughs> yeah, look, I got a singer. So I got a guitarist that sounds like one of my songs. What have you got, mate? <laughs> what have you got? Um, but no, he. Um, yeah, so he, he has this band. I think there's about five or six members in, in the original incarnation uh, of the band, and um, they released their first album in '71 as well. Uh, that's Wildlife. It's a great song in that called Bebop. Bebop, 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 That's the whole song. I love it. It's amazing. It's so <laughs> worth, so worth listening to. Um, but it's a very sort of folksy, old school English version of Wings that you, it's kind of a forgotten album. Um, so then Red Rose Speedway gets released in 73. That's the second Wings album. Largely doesn't get listened to. You got to bear in mind at this point. I mean, do you remember how much it cost them? Because you, you told me this fact before. How much it cost? Oh them my god, it was like twenty five pence or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So I I went to the University of Nottingham, um, and very excitingly, the University of Nottingham Students Union, where I've spent many a night and many a money. Um, <laughs> well, not much. It's student prices. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Student prices in 2015, <laughs> not the same as student prices in 1971. Yeah. Uh, but Paul McCartney and Wings actually played their first ever gig at the University of Nottingham Student Union. It was something stupid, like 25 pence or 50 pence to get yeah. in. There's a blue pack, plaque outside the bar, outside Mooch. <laughs> outside Mooch. You won't represent. <laughs> yeah. Very exciting. I know. I mean, the thing is, though, he was literally starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. Because he'd, he'd fallen out of favour. The public have sort of widely listened to the the um the narrative of the other Beatles as well. Um you know, Lennon was slagging him off in his songs. Lennon was writing diss tracks to him, you know, how do you sleep, things like that. Um 
you know, the the what was it? The only good thing you did was yesterday, and now you're just now it's just another day or something like that, which is really quite. It's actually quite smart, but, <laughs> but yeah, it was along those lines. Um, then he hits. So what happens here is that Paul then decides I'm going to go record an album in Lagos. Um, half the band leaves. Portugal or Nigeria? Uh, Nigeria. Half the band leaves. Suddenly he goes off to Lagos. He gets there. The uh, studio is a building site. He's got a guitarist, a wife who does sing but can't, basically, which he would probably never admit to her. But she, Linda cannot sing. Her Sounds son, a bit like our band. <laughs> I'd like to know that I'm the husband in that band now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just along for the ride, and you just let me. <laughs> no, you're, let you me are that. a valid contributor to the writing. Uh, but um, he's yes, yeah, so he's got a wife who can't say. If you ever listen to her solo album, I think it's a compilation that came out in the in the nineties or songs she recorded throughout her life. The singing is not good. It is not good. She can she can't sing well. She also can't play. She makes piano. a mean vegetarian sausage. But she, she does. Yeah, so, she does. Know. Her vegetarian meals are spectacular. They are so good. Um, but she and the photography is amazing too. Photography is superb. But she also can't play piano. So he's got a pianist who can't play piano or sing. He's a backing vocalist. Bear that in mind. He's got a superb guitarist in Denny Lane. That's where he's lucky. He's got Denny Lane, and Denny Lane is a sort of has become a bit of a John Lennon figure in his life. So he he's he's got that back. McCartney is now left to pick up the pieces. So that experience of McCartney and well, Ram had a band on it, but that experience of doing McCartney one is now being pulled in. So it's almost like he needed that failure to get to get this working. So he's in Lagos. He records this whole album. Um, it's in a building site. The studio's not fit for purpose. He then goes walking with Linda with the tapes. Gets mugged. Loses the tapes. Now he's under pressure by the record company. I mean, why would you go on a walk with your tapes? I don't know why they did. But he's now under pressure by the record company because he's now got to basically like, it's their money because yeah. he's got to spend time in the studio to do it again. So they're under pressure, under time pressure. And under this very short amount of time, Paul is doing drums. He is, I mean, he's teaching Linda piano. She does play piano on the album. So he's teaching Linda piano. He's doing, he's doing acoustic guitar. He's doing bass. He's doing all this stuff. He's doing his own backing vocals along with Denny and Linda doing them as well. Like they haven't got additional musicians. It's them three. And they come out of band on the run. Mm. And that's released in 73, as well as Red Rose Speedway. And so what an album. <laughs> what a spectacular What an release. album. Yeah, so that's... The funny thing is, is, I think you... Did you first hear it for the first proper time at mine? Yeah. And, we put it, on and it was like a yeah. euphoric experience. It, yeah. And the funny thing and was... I love it. I always loved the album. I hadn't listened to it for a while. I forgot how many of the songs Incredible. I knew. And I didn't realise, until you were pointing out... Paul's doing that vocally. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know he could do that. I, I didn't realise that was even there. It sounds like all of the bands that I really, really love, like all of the contemporary mm. bands I really, really love, but it was recorded in the early 70s. This is what this is why I find Paul McCartney so amazing, because he really sort of like, uh, you know, sort of, pioneered sounds yeah. i mean i like it's you know maybe a bit of a stretch of a comparison but to me it sounds similar to arctic monkeys am you mm. see arctic monkeys am lent into like hip-hop influences but just in terms of like sonically like i think you could mix and match the tracks on the two records yeah and they would actually blend quite well together just purely 
sonically. That's how modern it sounds. Yeah, it's 1972 album sounds like a, this 1973 album yeah. sounds sonically similar to a 2013 album. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's fantastic. I think it's my favorite Paul. It's my favorite Paul solo record post Beatles. It's yeah, no, and it's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, it's just my favorite Paul solo record nonstop. There, I have a favorite Paul solo record outside of Wings as well, which we'll come on to later, and that's a very special moment in his life too. Um, Venus and Mars is released in 1975. After Band on the Run, Wings kind of have a have a drop off. And a comeback and a drop off again. The comeback is when they're at their most popular, and that's in '76 when Wings at the Speed of Sound is released. Now that record's got silly love songs on, uh, let them in, uh, a few other big pop tracks. That is a huge album for them. Um, it literally cements him as pop superstar solo, basically. Um, Paul is also the first solo Beatles to tour America that year. Uh, I believe that's when Wings at uh, Wings Over America came out around that time at the live album, which is a seminal live performance of any music ever, kind of thing. Um, London Town's then released in 78. Back to the Egg is released in 79. Back to the Egg is, uh, is probably the album people consider to be like the underrated pull album. You know? um, London Town's probably considered the worst of McCartney. During this time, though, he's also had singles. So he's also had Mulligan Tire, not on an album, which is at the time was one of the longest stretches of number one ever. So he, he's he's just become this sort of music mogul. Now. We've got to talk about his Christmas song as well. And Wonderful Christmas Time comes out during yeah. this period, yeah. So Wonderful Christmas Time is, is a wings song, essentially. And obviously that's endured, and that is probably his most played song. Other, well, it's not, but it's like the most played one that people n- know, kind of thing, if you get what I mean by that. Um, yeah, it's incredible. I mean... The next year is a big year in Paul's life as well because it, it comes back to he's now because he's he's got back into the sphere of things he can now experiment. So the Beatles have broken up, not Beatles. So Wings have, have broken up now. I don't know if they just naturally dissolved. I think they probably did. I can't remember what happened. Um, anyway, because there's three band members and one of them was his wife and they were together. So since like since the whole life. So uh, I think it might have been a natural dissolve. I think Denny Lane did do solo works. So maybe he just wanted to pursue that. I don't know. Um, but anyway, 1980, Paul is detained in Tokyo for marijuana possession, which prompts him to release his next album. So at the time, Paul was working on... Well, basically, Paul was detained and kind of getting lower tabloid, you know, attention. Which Paul doesn't really like tabloid attention. I don't know if you noticed that. And it's a theme throughout the rest of his solo career. He's, he doesn't like tabloid attention, it seems. Um, so yeah, so he locks himself away and records... And you know the album that we're talking about probably here, don't you? The experimental one in 1980. Yeah, McCartney too. Don't know why I'm whispering. I need <laughs> yeah. to be more confident. I just don't want to sound dumb for your listeners. <laughs> no, yeah, McCartney too. McCartney too. Um, Another fantastic album. It is. And and this is an album that people tend to slag off a lot. They tend to say it's not good. But it's incredible. The, mm. the, the, the experimentation... You like on my way, don't you? Mm. That's nice. That's fantastic. It's like that's like proto blur, isn't it? It's mm. like, like prototype of blur. And this is what I mean. He's like proto so many things. Yeah, yeah, and and and, that, and that's in his solo career. And you know what? Uh, yeah, I was going to say like we talk about how Beatles innovated music, but you listen to <laughs> bands or like projects that Paul's been involved in post the Beatles, and you hear so much of contemporary music in it. Yeah. 
arguably more so than you do actually listen to the Beatles. Yeah. Especially the early Beatles albums. Yes, exactly. And like, I love the song and a fan favourite song from that. There's a, it's a, a hidden fan favourite in that album, which is Waterfalls. I love Waterfalls. I think it's a beautiful song. And like, they recently released a video of him and it's a HD video. It's just him walking around, just mo- that's m- miming to Waterfalls. It's brilliant. Um, anyway, Tug of War released in 1982. This is a big album for Paul in an odd way. So it's considered one of his best solo works and we've listened to it together. I love the songs. It's got ballroom dancing. It's got um, Ebony and Ivory. Um, uh, Gonna Get It, I think it's called, um, which is the uh, one with uh, Chet Atkins or, or no, Carl Perkins. Uh, it's got, uh, what else has it got on there? It's got another, it's got two songs of Sea Wonder, one of them being Ebony and Ivory. There's a couple more on there as well. A uh, Wanderlust is the other one I'm thinking of. Now, this marks him working with contemporary artists now. So now, this is what, they sort of joked about the spitting image with Paul McCartney and things like that, like like parody and spoof shows, that Paul always liked to be with the young artists, you know, and he was always like trying to keep keep up to date with everyone. By the way, do you remember, I think it was like 2012 or something when he released a song with uh, Rihanna and Which is, Kanye West. Yeah, we'll get onto that. That's that's in the timeline. That That's seminal for him too. So like he, he's always had that, uh, starting with Stevie Wonder. Um, Pipes of Beast comes out. Now, at this point, this is 83. We're looking at Thriller is released either the year before or the year after. I can't remember. He's working with Michael Jackson here. Say, say, say. So now he's with the biggest thing in music. He's working with the biggest artist in music. And he's also on Thriller in the, the duet for Girl Is Mine. Mm-hmm. So I always forget that. Like I love Thriller. I think Thriller is one of the tightest and best albums of all time. I always forget Paul McCartney's on it. <laughs> you know? But Paul had already sort of known known um about michael jackson because he'd given his blessing for michael jackson to sing girlfriend on off the wall so there's that 84 a bit of a flop for paul give my regards to broad street the film is released he writes and stars this film in this film he's the lead act he this film flops like mad the soundtrack sells like hotcakes because the soundtrack is re-recordings of beatles re-recordings of uh, some of the songs from Tug of War and brand new songs, like No More Lonely Nights on it. Um, he then picks it up again, performs and closes Money Made. He closes it with Let It Be as well, I believe. Um, Night Night 6, Press to Play comes out. Paul trying to be poppy and modern didn't work, supposedly. So Paul has to go, okay, I've released, I've just done too many floppy things lately. So he goes, he says, I'm going to read this as the letters. Chubba, B C C C P. It's Russian writing. I don't know how to read that. Okay. This is a covers album of rock and roll songs. There's a theme here with the Beatles. What did Lennon do in '75 when he, I believe he was uh, having trouble with Yo. No, he just got back together with Yoko and he didn't know what to do musically. And he he just released an album that was all about his year off from Yoko, essentially his his wild weekend where Yoko basically said you can have a relationship with our like secretary or something like that. Basically, she said, you can you can have a relationship with her. I know you fancy her and want her. And she just let John do it. He did a rock and roll album. So what's Paul done? Mm. Time of... You'll see it's a theme. It comes back again. The Beatles tend to do rock and roll when they don't know what to do with themselves and they want to just get back in touch with why Safe they space. do things. Yeah, yeah. like touching base. It's, yeah, it's realising why do I do this, mm. you know? 
Um, Flowers in the Dirt comes out in 89. Now, this is an album that is nowhere near considered his best, but um, he tours, he does his first world tour in over a decade. And also, he, um, he, uh, uh, this album is sort of like seen as a return to form in some way. Yeah. In 91, Paul releases his first full classical composition, Liverpool Oratorio. You've listened to some of the classical mm. work, haven't you? I haven't have but can tell it off mm. what do you think of it i don't think i'm classical musically literate enough to really express an opinion mm. i think i liked it but mm. it didn't blow me away and yeah. i'd rather listen to the have you listened to frillington stuff i'm not sure so frillington's his his pseudonym he composed a load of classical versions of beatles songs basically. oh no I've not listened yes to that. so that's, that's worth having a listen to if, if you find it uh, it's really hard to get on vinyl, like apparently it's really expensive. Anyway, Off The Grounds released in 1993. For me, his least noteworthy album, yeah? Uh, but he released his first album with The Fireman in the same year. Have you listened to them as well? Interesting stuff, very much ambient music and stuff like that. He, they would release two more later on. Now, this is a point, I think this is the best Paul has ever felt in his life, personally. Apart from maybe now. He feels really good now. because he does. People love him. Um, but, so 1995... The Beatles anthology is released to great success. He's got back with the Beatles. They've recorded songs with John Lennon's demos. So they're John Lennon on vocals. They've recorded songs. They, I mean, they've been friends for, for years. You know, he, he got back in touch with John just before he died. So he did manage to get the closure before the death and things like that. Um, but um, he's in a really good place. In 1997, Paul is knighted uh, for his music contributions and his British ambassador roles that he has. So he has roles as a musical ambassador, things like that. Um, it's the same year he releases Flaming Pie. That's my favourite McCartney solo album, other than Band of the Run. Reason being, Linda's still alive, and he's in love more than ever. Anthology's done really well. The Beatles are back in the frame. He's got his career, he got basically got a second career coming. For him, it's like a third of Wolf career, isn't it? But like he's got another, he's, he's back in the zeitgeist again. He's also working with all the Beatles. Ringo Starr and George Harrison, I believe, both feature on Flaming Pie. George Martin produces it. No. George Martin? No. No, Jeff Lynne produces it. George Martin works on it. Or, or they both produce bits of it. Yeah. It's around that kind of way. Um, and, yeah, he's just in the best place. He's in the best place. It's before the uh, diagnosis of cancer for Linda. In 98, she passes away of that. It's breast cancer, like his mother which is harder because he's lost two people to it that close to him. Uh, it's 29 years of marriage. Uh, Paul wouldn't play live until 1997. Uh, sorry, sorry, till 1999, sorry. So a year later. So he wouldn't play live until then. Um, yeah, it's obviously not a good time for Paul. 1999, Run Devil Run comes out. Rock and roll covers. The theme emerges, doesn't it? Yeah. Setbacks, rock and roll. <laughs> it's like kind of how it works. Um, Paul is inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Significant moment now. In 2000, the album One comes out. The Beatles' number one's album. Mm. Hugely popular album. Mm. I think it's like the best-selling record of, all, of the 2000s, isn't it? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the best-selling album of the 2000s. Um, yeah, huge album. Um, Driving Rain comes out in 2001. Have you ever listened to that? No, it's the most dad rock old artist you'll ever hear an album it's so so unnoteworthy but i still think it's better than off the ground just because it's more fun it's got some fun in it um 2002 paul marries heaven mills 
Um, they have a daughter, Beatrice, in 2003. You know about Heaven Mills, don't you? Yeah, she's, she's a model. And she, uh, yeah, she basically, um, yeah, so, so the, the joke is that, is that she married Paul and then divorced him, basically. I believe she claimed, she claimed, allegedly, that Paul was violent towards her and things like that. The court didn't, as far as I'm aware, the court didn't stand up to it. Um, but in 2005, um, Paul plays the Super Bowl halftime show, kicking off a trend of older rock artists doing that. He also releases an album called Chaos and Creation in the Backyard. Hmm. This album here, he, he switched up his producers. So he started working with a, a producer that's outside of the genre. Was it Rick Rubin? It might have been. I can't remember. It was someone. He started working with a producer that was outside the genre, doing something completely different. And literally, if you heard that album, yes, yeah, I have listened to this one. I think they mentioned it at the Paul McCartney lyrics one because I feel like, and I might be wrong, so don't quote me on this, but I seem to remember he revisited some of his really early songs when he was writing this record. But I might be getting that confused with a different record. I think he was most proud of this record, one of his more proud accomplishments. He kind of went back to basics because he was sort of in a place where he didn't, it was folksy, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's beautiful songs like you kind of like evaluating what it means to be English, what it means to be an English artist, a British artist, or things like English Tea were in there. There's a there's a couple of other nice songs on it. I can't remember the names of them off the top of my head. Jenny Wren, lovely song as well. Um, he also releases Let It Be Naked. Mm. Now, do you know about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you want to explain what it is to the listeners? So it's his vision of how Let It Be should have sounded like in terms yeah. of production and track listing. Yeah. Now. At the time, it was called, uh, well, I called it, not at the time, but later, or later on, I called it a Pumkani Vanity Project. Mm. At the time, it was not well received. Why are you messing with this? Now, post the special release of Let It Be recently and the Get Back documentary, people have come to realise that what Paul has done is the Glyn John mix, basically. He's basically taken everything and made it as close to what he remembers the Glyn John mix to be. The People love the Glyn John mix. And that's the thing. So it's kind of become not revered because it's a bit irrelevant now. We've got the Glyn Johns mix, but people can understand why he did it. I mean, they had Phil Spector on it as well, and I I think part of McCartney always wanted to distance the Beatles from Phil Spector after the, the murders and stuff like that, basically the, the murder. So I think he always kind of wanted to distance the Beatles from them and himself, and I think that's part of it. I'm, I'm only speculating here. Uh, 2007, Memory Almost Full releases. Which, interesting callback to RAM, of course. Because mm, yeah. RAM stands for Random Access Memory. So yeah. I'm not sure if they're musically related, actually, but it's an interesting career callback. I, I would argue that there's an element of it, mm. because there, there is a few sort of like that folksy style that mm. RAM has. It's kind of certainly there. Uh, in songs like Dance Tonight and things like that, there certainly is that element there. And he kind of, uh, young Natalie Portman in, in the video for that as well. Talking about Star Wars mm. and Obi-Wan. Mm. Young Natalie Portman. Um, 2008, uh, Paul and Heather divorce. So that's when the divorce happens. Heather is awarded 24.3 million for that. Um, and it, he becomes tabloid fodder again. You know, falls like with tabloids, doesn't, as far as we can tell, he probably doesn't like them. Um, so he then, not too long later, he actually marries, um, uh, Nancy Chevelle, who he's still with today. So that's in 2011. The pair actually first met two decades earlier, which is incredible that they kind of. I don't know if they ever had a relationship because like, obviously he would have been with Belinda at the time but like they probably knew each other through somewhere, they probably had business dealings or something along those lines um, anyway in 2012 Paul closes the 2012 Summer Olympics opening ceremony in London mm-hmm. 
a huge event for him because mm-hmm. he's basically cementing himself as I am Mr. Britain, pop culture, Mr. Britain, mm-hmm. I am the British songwriter, basically. Uh, Kisses on the Bottom also releases. Again, you've seen the trend of covers albums coming out at certain times. Like, he puts out a covers album now. It's one original track, which is My Valentine, and he puts out a co- covers album because I think all the years of hurt from the second marriage, he's now found happiness again. So he's putting out a covers album to say how much I love you. And I think he's also saying, like, I can't write how much I love you. He's kind of met a companion. Like, Linda will be the soulmate, but he's now got companionship and care. Yeah. Uh, 2013 New comes out. You like that album, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. That record. <laughs> I've forgotten about that. That is a sick record. It's like, you know, it's like the 1975. It's amazing. Anyone yeah. who's into indie rock who's listening, who thinks, oh, I don't like the Beatles. I don't like Paul McCartney. It's old man. But you like, like you know, contemporary, yeah. you know, poppy <laughs> rock. Yeah. Oh my god, new great album. So that album, as great well, tunes. Thank also, you for reminding me that it like, exists. That album has early days on as well, which is obviously a callback to the mm-hmm. relationship with John from when he was younger. A theme that happened all the time. Here today, another one. Paul wrote about John a lot. Paul never wrote, as far as I'm aware, I don't think Paul wrote in a bad light of John. Um, and that, that's kind of thing with Paul. We, we've said in the past like about the vibes the Beatles give the Beatles give us. Paul does kind of give off the, the nice vibe, doesn't he? There is a there is a niceness to him, um, and that that's where that kind of comes through. As you mentioned earlier, 20, uh, 2015, four or five seconds gets released with Rihanna mm-hmm. and Kanye West. And you know, I just pulled up my Spotify to re-download some Paul McCartney <laughs> albums I've not listened to in the first time uh, for a while. And four or five seconds is actually the top list of the popular releases. Yeah. Which is quite insane. It's the most streamed Paul McCartney song, isn't it? Yeah, that's mad. Yeah. So it opens him up to a younger audience, but also some, it also like he still wants to work with young artists. Um, he has like, I, I believe he, he's worked with Kanye as well another time, but I can't remember what all those plans for him to. I don't know if they ever came to fruition. But again, it's shown again with the reimagined McCartney 3 because he's... He's um, because that's with younger artists and stuff, and the way like, Phoebe Bridges, yeah, exactly. There's a Damon Albarn remix of Long Tailed Winter Bird, which I did yeah. not know about. Yeah. That's exciting. I love Long Tailed Winter Bird, that's one yeah. of my favorite former cartoons. So, so, so I need to listen to that Damon Albarn remix. There's um, he also um, oh, I was gonna say something now, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, like even like online this year, he's been interviewing um, St. Vincent and things like that, he's interviewing them. Like he and he 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 he's quite nice. He does it on like Instagram Live and he interviews like young artists. It's quite cool. He's done it a few times. It's really interesting. Um, Egypt Station's released in twenty eighteen. Uh, McCartney Two is released in twenty twenty. Sorry, McCartney Three. Tell a lie. It's released in twenty twenty. Brilliant album. Uh, arguably the best McCartney of the trilogy. Mm. Arguably, I prefer to. I, mean, I love. I feel two, like McCartney but... Three has a really, really ama- like some really, really amazing moments in it, but also some sort of more forgettable moments but mm-hmm. the it's memorable moments long tail winter bird mm-hmm. find my way winter bird slash when winter comes yeah oh th- my that's God. the last song isn't it mm-hmm. and you know the vocal on that does sound different yeah long tail winter bird probably my favorite instrumental track of all time oh it's amazing but you know the last track um when winter comes mm. that's actually a flaming pie demo mm. uh and yeah they dug it out and they sort of turned it into a full song kind of thing um but no yeah so basically he's he records it during COVID 19 um but this album goes uh, basically um, it goes to, it goes into the top five, and it cements him as being the first artist to have a. Uh, this is in America, that is the first artist to have a top five album in each of the last six decades. He's the only artist to have done that. 
in America, basically. Uh, so yeah, we end up on twenty twenty two. Uh, McCartney's going to headline Glastonbury Festival. Well, he will have by the time it's gone out. Oh yes, this weekend. Yeah, or this week rather. Yes, exactly. Um, at eighty years old. Uh, yes, interesting. He is the oldest Glastonbury headliner. And another uh, headliner this year is Billie Eilish, who's the youngest Glastonbury headliner. So this year, <laughs> it's the youngest ever Glastonbury headliner and the oldest ever Glastonbury headliner. Do you think? Do you think Billie Eilish will be there on the same day as McCartney, and he'll welcome her out? I'm not sure. Song. I'm not sure. Because I would reckon he would see the opportunity for that. Mm. That would be. We're going to have a Billie Eilish and Paul McCartney uh, joint record coming. I hope that's going to happen. I hope so. Obviously, we're recording this before it happens. So, but you know, I mean, a couple of minutes left before we end today. McCartney's solo career. What can we say? What What, what can you say? It. Some bands and artists follow the trends of what's happening in music right now. In fact, most do. Most hear a sound and they suit their sound to fit. Like, they suit the sound of the record that they're working on to fit the contemporary sound. But then, obviously, by the time that record's released, there's a different dominant sound, so most artists lag behind. Mm. Where Paul McCartney, you can listen to his records and it seems like he's predicted not just the sort of sounds that are imminent, if we're talking about when he was in the Beatles and how Rolling Stones would imitate them quite soon after, six months after. But he also predicts sounds that would be popular in decades' time. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Paul McCartney and the Beatles, massively iconic, mythic, really, and it's yeah. impossible not to romanticise them. So there's always the caution of how much of this are we just imposing on McCartney, how much of this are we just imposing on the Beatles. But at the same time, it's no wonder that one of the most successful artists of all time who was in the most successful band of all time, mm. it's no wonder that even the sort of songs that he was releasing 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, are still influencing the artists of today. I, I can only echo that. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it on one thing. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to wrap up anything after this, guys. You know you know to go and subscribe, follow, all that rubbish. You know that stuff. Um, I'm going to echo all of that. And I'm going to say, there's no better solo career for an artist mm. than Paul McCartney. There's no meta band career than an artist than Paul McCartney. That's it. Harry Styles will beg to differ. <laughs> happy birthday, Paul. Yeah, happy birthday to Paul. We hope that you enjoy. Yeah, and we hope for another 80 years to come as long like yes. this. I'll be, but I wish it could. Uh, cheers, guys, for listening. Uh, catch us next time. Say goodbye, Dale. Hello there. <laughs>